Will you remain standing and listen for the word of the Lord? This morning we continue in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, verse 14. Jesus is speaking and says these words, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had been given two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave! You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let me review with you for a moment this series of sayings we're following from the Gospel of Matthew. All during November, these readings have Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And we're looking at different aspects of the kingdom of God. The focus is what is life with God like when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. If you were here last week at the beginning of chapter 25, you may recall that that section starts like this, with Jesus speaking, saying, then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. And then he tells us a short story. Today's reading is part of the same conversation. The transition was that first verse we read, verse 14, where Jesus begins this portion by saying, for it is as if a man was going on a journey. So Jesus is drawing these parallels, but it will help us if we stop there for a moment and think about where Jesus is in his own journey, what Matthew has told us about the flow of his life and ministry. 
Where is Jesus headed? Jerusalem. He has already told his disciples and his followers three times that he's going to go to Jerusalem, be handed over to the Gentiles or the Romans, be sentenced to death, that the temple is going to be destroyed, that persecutions will follow and many will fall away. Things are going to get bad. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But he says, after all that, I will come again. I will come again. And notice as he tells the story, all three people in the parable are given gifts. Everyone represented is given a gift. It reminded me of the same thing St. Paul basically repeats when he's teaching the early Christians at Corinth in what we have as 1 Corinthians in chapter 12. He talks about this idea of God giving us gifts. Remember this? Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there's a variety of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We are all given gifts. That's what Jesus begins with in this parable. Everyone in the parable is given a gift. And we need to realize these gifts in the parable are no small gifts, no insignificant gifts here. Our Bible scholars who study these things say that a talent was a measure of weight of precious metals and that a single talent would be worth about 15 years' wages for a common laborer. So one of the commentators estimated that a single talent would be worth a quarter of a million dollars in our day. $250,000 for a single talent. So one of them got a quarter of a million. The fellow that got two talents would have gotten over a half a million. The guy that was entrusted with five talents would have been given over a million dollars. These are huge sums of money. Jesus wants us to pay attention. These are gifts of a lifetime. These are life-changing gifts. This is not something small. This is a gigantic gift that the master is entrusting with these slaves. So hang on to that idea. These are gifts of a lifetime. What is the greatest gift you can receive? What does the gospel say the greatest gift that God has ever given to the world might be? Could the talents in some way represent the good news or the gift of Christ Jesus himself. So imagine you are in the story. You are one of the slaves or the servants. Your master comes to you and gives you a quarter of a million dollars and says, take care of this for me while I'm away. Or maybe half a million or maybe even over a million dollars and says, take care of this while I'm away. How do you respond? What would you do? Jesus tells us in verse 16 what these fellows did. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. He doubled the money. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. 
But the one who had received the one talent went off, Jesus says, and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Now, the first two guys are in pretty good shape. They come and say, look, we took what you've entrusted to us, and we doubled your money. Ah, but the last fellow, he doesn't do so well, does he? We get to verse 24. It's his turn. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man. Master, I knew you were a harsh man. And I thought, really? The master comes and gives the servant or the slave a quarter of a million or a half million and a million dollars? And the first thing you say is, don't be so mean to me. Why are you being so harsh? Wouldn't the fellow say, oh my gosh, you are so generous, you are so magnanimous. You've just given me more than I could ever ask or imagine. This is a gift of a lifetime. You are wonderful. Not the guy who got the one talent. He thinks of the master as harsh. The one talent person, I think, misjudges the giver. And that leads him to be afraid, it says in verse 25. He was afraid because of the way he thought about the master. And that leads to poor judgment. He makes a very poor decision. And not to stretch the parable too far, but this week as I was reading over and over this parable, I began to consider what is my view of God? Do I think of God as harsh and demanding and judgmental primarily? Do I think of God as generous, as a great giver, as one who pours out grace upon grace and blessing upon blessing to each and every one of us as children of God? How do you think of God? Do you think of God as great and magnanimous and wonderful and working for your good? Or do you think rather that somehow God is so great that God is distant and uninterested and far away? When you have troubles, do you sense God is close, working right at your side? Or do you think God is far away and kind of impotent to make any difference in your life? How we view God makes a difference. Pastor John Ortberg writes about this, I think, quite insightfully. Let me read a few of his words. He asked this question, when we wake up in the morning, what happens if we live with a small God? His answer is this, we live in a constant state of fear and anxiety because everything depends on us. Our mood will be governed by our circumstances. We will live in a universe that leaves us deeply vulnerable. When we have a chance to share our faith, we shrink back. What if we are rejected or cannot find the right words? Because we think it all depends on us. We cannot be generous because our financial security depends on us. When we need to give someone strong words of confrontation or challenge, 
we will be inclined to pull our punches. That is because if we don't live in the security of a big God's acceptance, we become slaves to what others think of us. If we face the temptation to speak deceitful words to avoid pain, we will probably do it. We may try to get credit for something at work that does not belong to us because we don't trust in a big God who sees in secret and will one day give reward. If somebody gets mad at us or disapproves, we get all twisted up in knots. We will not have the security of knowing that a giant God is watching out for us. It makes a difference how we view God. I ask you, does your view of God lead you to faith and confidence? Or does it lead you to fear and insecurity? How do you think of the creator of the universe as friend or foe? It makes a difference. Our view of the giver impacts our response to the gift. The fellow who got one talent was afraid and went and buried the talent. Jesus says the master responded in the parable, you should have invested what I gave you. Actually, it's worse than that. He starts with, you wicked and lazy slave, exclamation point. Then he says, you should have invested what I gave you. He gave him the greatest gift, probably beyond anything he could have ever imagined, the greatest gift of his entire life and he went and dug a hole and put it in the ground and covered it up he buried his chance of a lifetime and it's interesting it's not that he lost the money or stole the money or spent the money in selfish ways he just hid the money but that's just the point he did not act he did not invest, he did not cultivate, he did not share, he did not use it in any way. He buried the gift. I was at a funeral when I was a younger pastor. I was not doing the funeral. An older, wiser pastor was doing the funeral. He talked about this idea that God gives each of us gifts that we're all irreplaceable, unique creations of our God, and we're all given gifts to share during our lives. But so often, he said, we miss the point. We don't realize this is a gift from God that we're to utilize for the good of the world. And so we fail to utilize it. We fail to use it. We hide our gift or we forget our gift or somehow our afraid to use our gift and he says when we do that we not only rob ourselves but we rob the world that God has given us gifts to share and if we bury them we rob the world he said the person whose life we were there to celebrate that day had made good use of his gifts that he had shared them with his family with his church family with his business family with the community that he had looked for ways throughout his life to be a giver 
to use his gifts for the good of others. He said when you come to the end of your life, the question will not be, why didn't you do as well as somebody else, or why didn't you do something great like so-and-so? The question will be, did you use your gifts? How did you do with the life you received, with the gifts that you were given? Jesus is on a journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He tells this story or this parable, and he condemns the fellow who does not act. He's just told them many will fall away. The ones who are going to be faithful are going to have to act. It is a time for action. When we declare ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, it's time to follow. It's time to take a step. It's time to act. It's time to let our faith overcome fear, to believe our faith will lead us through obstacles, to believe that our God is great and will lead us into the future. As I was working on all this, I was reminded of a time years ago when I was still in college. I was at the University of Oklahoma. It was homecoming week, and it came the night where all the students set aside homework and went out into the streets and had this gigantic party. There were students everywhere. But this night was different than any other night I'd ever experienced. Not because I'd never seen thousands of students in Norman, Oklahoma having a party. I had seen that before. But this particular night, I ran into Carl. Carl was a little bit ahead of me in high school, but was from my hometown. He was on the OU football team. In fact, he was the biggest guy on the OU football team. When I graduated from high school, I was about six foot one inch tall and weighed a whopping 